Amen. Thank you, Larry. Stand with me, everyone, for the reading of God's holy word. We're in the book of John. We're in John 17. Wow, powerful, powerful portion of scripture. Larry, it's hard to believe you would wear a shirt that colorful. Wait, never mind. John 17, beginning at verse 13. Now I am coming to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. These are the words of Jesus written in red in our Bibles. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me, Father. I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for them, excuse me, your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Add your great anointing and blessing to the reading of your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Title of my message today, Why the Angels Went Silent, or the subtitle, Made Holy Through His Truth. It was two weeks ago when we actually began eavesdropping on Jesus as he was praying. And it's as if we were given the privilege to enter the holy of holies, and that's what we want to do today. We want to re-enter the holy of holies. Come with me. You might want to slip off your shoes. Because Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17. It's just one prayer. But it's so deep and so marvelous, we could never plumb its depths. We could never scale its heights. John Knox, the great orator of the 1500s who brought the Reformation to Scotland, had John 17 read to him every day on his deathbed as he faced his own imminent death because he thought it was the highest scripture ever recorded. Now, I would love to keep scratching its surface for the next several weeks, but we're now just three weeks away from first fruit Sunday, Resurrection Day, or what most people in the Western civilization refer to as Easter. Man, can you believe that? Just a couple of weeks till Easter. 
Next week, we're going to finish our missions convention. I already told you, I have another great friend of mine, pastors in Northern California, who's going to come. And I encourage you to be with us next week. You will not want to miss it. Now, Jesus began his high priestly prayer. That's what this is today. It's a high priestly prayer. And he began by praying to be glorified. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Today, he comes full circle because his last petition in this prayer is that all of us, we would see him in his ultimate glory. There must be something, friends, so breathtaking, so life-altering that once we see him, we could never go back to being the same ever again. While he was here on earth, what did he do? He veiled his glory, allowing only those closest to him to capture just the essence of that glory through his miracles, through what he revealed about himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's as if he had held all that glory in for so long he just couldn't hold it anymore and he let it burst out. Seeing him in his resurrected body after he came back to life, boy, that had to be something to behold. But friends, what's the old saying? We ain't seen nothing yet. Because the word that John used for the word see in verse 24, it's not just like I I can picture it in my mind. It's not a mental perception. It's actually physically observing. So in verse 24, when he said that then they can see all of my glory. He's telling us that one day every one of us will have the same experience that Isaiah had in chapter 6 where he saw the Lord high and lifted up, train filling the temple. We'll see him in all of his glory, but in order to do that, we have to be changed. We need new eyes. We need new abilities given to us. And we will have that in our new perfect resurrected body. And it will be our eyes that behold him, but it won't be these particular eyes. It'll be enhanced eyes. It'll be eyes that give us the ability to clearly see the physical glory of Jesus Christ. But again, not with these eyes we currently have that can't even make out the menu in a restaurant without (laughs) handing it to someone in their 20s. I just went to the optometrist. I'm happy to report that I can read the smallest print, the bottom line of letters with my left eye, but my right eye is struggling. So these eyes will never do to physically see the full glory of Jesus Christ when I get to heaven. But Jesus praying for his glory to be restored in his final petition that you and I would see the wonderful sight of his glory leads me to the first point of today's message. The first reason why I believe that the angels went silent is because it was as if they were seeing his glory for the very first time. Now let's go to that vision I talked about that Isaiah had in Chapter six of Isaiah, Uzziah the king of Judah had just died. There was a real void of leadership 
at that time. Isaiah is concerned. He's wondering who will now sit on the throne. And it was at this very moment he had a vision in the holy temple. And he sees exactly what he needs to be seeing. When Isaiah had his vision, he says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Adonai sitting on his throne high and lifted up and his train was filling the temple. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this morning to declare to you that Vladimir Putin is not sitting on the throne today. Not the Shah in Iran. It's not that lunatic in North Korea. It's not even that mighty mouse that runs China. And I'm sorry, I need to be more respectful. I do pray for these world leaders. It's definitely not the president of Turkey whom I call Mr. Ego Dan. Not any of these guys. No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking today to you about the one who really sits on the throne. The one who is completely in charge of not only this little blue dot called earth that swims in a cosmic sea of firmaments, but I'm talking to you today about the ruler, the one who at this very moment is ruling and reigning over entire galaxies that inhabit the universe that he created, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's worship him. He's in charge. The Adonai. The first and last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And he is large and he is in charge today. So take a deep breath. In this marvelous vision, nothing can even begin to contain the glory of God. The word filling. His train filled, it was filling the temple. It's not referring to the state of the temple being full of the train of his glorious robe, ladies and gentlemen. It's referring to a repeated and constant action of the temple continually being filled with his glory. The robe symbolizing the full glory of God is continuously flowing out, filling the temple over and over again. That's the kind of God we serve. In all of the holiness of this event in chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah gives a more detailed description of the burning angels, the seraphim, than he actually does of the Adonai. These burning angels are burning with the brightness of God's Holy Spirit. And the fire represents their holiness as they are constantly in the Father's presence. Now these seraphim are higher than cherubim, but they're still under the command of the archangels. That's a whole nother sermon. They continually cry out. These are the ones continually crying out in short refrains of song, responsively back and forth saying, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
and the other burning angels, the seraphim respond, the fullness of all the earth is his glory. And my concept is that this isn't boring. Can you imagine standing there for eons and all you can say is holy? It's not that for them. For them, they look at the Father. They look at the Son seated beside him and they can't grasp how holy he is. And they look at each other and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they look down and they try to grasp it and they worship. And then they look back and they catch a brand new glimpse of how glorious our God is. This responsive praise back and forth between the angels continues over and over. And according to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, it's so heaven shattering that even the very foundations of the heavenly temple are waving back and forth, up and down as this worship goes on. Now listen to this. In the Hebrew Bible, there's a simple little line between the first word holy and the next two words holy. Stay with me. This is crucial for our greater understanding of just how holy our God is. This line is meant for the Masoret copyists of this text. And it's letting them know that the first holy is really supposed to be there. Well, why did they need that line? Because Hebrew does not and cannot ever put three adjectives together. Two adjectives means the most you could ever have. So holy, holy meant the most holy. But to add a third adjective is inconceivable in Hebrew. But they needed it there. Why? Because it was the best way to translate this concept of how holy our God is. So here's, here's a good way to say it. He who is more superbly and supremely holy than the most holy of the holiest one that can be imagined as holy. Anybody getting this besides Atherstein? The angels are crying out regarding how holy the three persons of the Trinity are to whom we shout our praise. Yet Isaiah describes just one figure, one who was high and lifted up. As Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, he's in the throne room of heaven and I think a holy hush has fallen upon even the angels in heaven including these burning angels who constantly cry out, holy, holy, holy. I don't think there's a sound as Jesus prays each word of this prayer. Why do I think this? Because the angels went silent because of what I read in Isaiah chapter six and how John quotes that in John 12 verse 40. Not the vision itself, but the prophecy about the blinding of the hearts of Israel. And we find that in Isaiah 6, verse 10. Now, compare those two when you get home today. 1240 of John, 610 of Isaiah. And then John goes on to comment in verse 41 of chapter 12. And he says these words. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. 
So whose glory did Isaiah see? John tells us under the inerrant inspiration of God that Isaiah saw Jesus. Isaiah in the temple saw Jesus. He saw him high and lifted up on the throne of the heavenly temple. And it was the train of the majestic sovereign robe of our Jesus that continually, continually fills the temple of God. Even more astonishing, Isaiah saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up. Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the heavenly throne. But it wasn't in his pre-incarnate state of glory. No, Isaiah saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And this is a reference to the glory of our Jesus being revealed when he is lifted up on the cross to draw all men and women and boys and girls to himself. In John 12, 32, Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And then John begins to express how Jesus describes his coming kingdom as prophesied in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6. So not only did Isaiah see Jesus seated on the heavenly throne, but he saw the crucified and resurrected Christ seated on the heavenly throne in all of his post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, and post-ascension glory. The connection between the vision in Isaiah 6 and the suffering servant poems in Isaiah 52 and 53 is found in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again on the third day, Isaiah saw what you and I will see with our eyes, our new heavenly eyes, when we get to heaven, we'll see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. We'll see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We'll see Jesus Christ with the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, the spear wound in his side, the scars from the crown of thorns on his head. This is the glory that Jesus concludes his high priestly prayer with in John 17. And we, we, we get to see him in all of his ultimate, indescribable holiness and brilliance. We will see with our own new eyes his shining glory when we get to heaven. And after you see that, you'll never again be the same. The glory of Jesus is a major theme of his prayer, but also his holiness. And our holiness is another major petition he prayed in verse 17. He prays for the 11 disciples. And then by extension, he prays for us to be sanctified in the truth. The New Living Translation that we read says, Lord, Father, make them holy by your truth. Now, the amazing translation of verse 19 in the original Greek has Jesus saying this, I am sanctifying myself. The New Living says, I give myself as a holy sacrifice. 
Now here, the one to whom the angels cry, holy, 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 he's making himself holy. He's setting himself apart. How did he do this? Ladies and gentlemen, it was by going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. And this to me is the second reason why the angels went silent because they saw the glory of our crucified and risen Christ and they were speechless. Pam and I went to a marriage conference one time and the speaker said, guys, when your wife walks in the room, just go, there she is. I like that. But think about when we see Jesus, the glory of the crucified, risen Christ. You talk about being breathless. Now the result of Jesus making himself holy by going to the cross is that you and I now, right now today, are what? We are having been made holy. We are having been sanctified, it says in the original Greek, which means that right now, you and I, this moment, every moment, after we've come to Christ, we are being separated from the world. We are being made holy by his truth. We are being protected from the evil one by his truth. Let me tell you something today. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I hear Christian people all the time saying stupid little things that don't line up with this book. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, I don't care what you think or what you believe, everything you say better line up with the truth that's written in this word. So that you can be protected from the evil one who's gonna try to get in there and tell you, Oh, come on, you don't need to speak in tongues. That's not for you. That's, that's, you're fine. No, you're not. Pursue the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that, like Brandon said this morning, you're not out there trying to do everything on your own. You're not trying to figure it all out on your own. You can't. If you did, you'd be God. But we surrender our hearts and say, God, I don't understand, but I believe and I trust you. And your word says that I should be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in a heavenly language. And so here I go, I'm just gonna make the words up, but I, like a little kid, I just believe that I'm being baptized in the Spirit. Sometimes you just make it so hard. It's not that hard. If you're sincere, boy, I'm gonna say something right now that some of y'all are gonna think of as blasphemous, but it's not. This is how I got baptized in the Spirit. I thought I got baptized when I was 13 years old, but the Holy Spirit told me one day, I baptized you when you were nine. Well, at nine, I'm sitting on the front row and God's moving in the altars and I hear these precious ladies worshiping God and praying in the Spirit and I just started saying what they said. I just repeated what they said. And then Satan robbed me for four years because I walked out and Satan told me, you're not baptized, you just made that, you just, you just repeated what those ladies were saying. I went, oh. And then I gloriously was baptized at 13 years old at a youth camp. But friends, I'm telling you, I got baptized when I was nine. 
Let me just tell you something real quick about truth. It's his holy truth that protects us from the evil one. It's his holy truth that commissions us to be sent into this world armed with truth and it's his truth that will save those who believe and set them free. I heard a story this week about a pastor who when he got saved, he had been on drugs and he had friends on drugs and he went back to each one and he was just telling them about Jesus. He was just so excited about what had happened in his life. And one of the friends says, well, you know what? I, if he's real, I need him to supernaturally reveal himself to me. And, and this pastor said, he did that. Father sent his son for you. And he says, no, 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 I need something today. And so this new convert walks over, lays his hands on his friend, and he says, well, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you'll show him that you could kill him, but you won't. I thought, wow, that's bold. Guess what happened the night after? The very next night, the guy's drunk, and he's driving his car, and he goes off the road and the car rolls and he falls out into a ditch and he's drunk so he doesn't get hurt. But the car goes ahead and hits a tree and bursts into flames. And the cop that showed up said, son, God's trying to get a hold of you. Now don't make God come over there. Because he will. Satan, what a defeated foe, completely judged already, completely defeated at the cross. He's a roaring lion, but he doesn't have any teeth. They were all pulled out at Calvary. He's the prince of the power of the air, but because we have been made to sit in heavenly places, he's still under our feet today. In verse 15, Jesus prays. And he says these words, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus prayed that you and I would remain in the world and be made holy in this world so that we can stay here and rescue as many people as we possibly can out of the world order so that they too can begin to be being made holy by the truth. And that is why we're in week two of a three-week missions convention. We're rescuing people today by praying. We're rescuing people today by our giving. We're rescuing people today by going when the opportunity arises. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories. Get your uh, faith promise card out of the bulletin, please. I want you to look at it right now as I tell you a couple stories. I'll make this as quick as I can. Man named Farid, not his real name. He was uh, fleeing Syria. He was a, he is, or he was, he was a Muslim. His family was in an inflatable, a big one, but they were crossing the Aegean Sea when a Storm broke loose, and his little six-year-old daughter is just 
getting pounded by the waves and she's freezing and she's screaming. And this, and Farid is just crying out. He's so disillusioned. He, he's so sick of ISIS and uh, cutting people's heads off. Is that what I'm involved in? I don't want to be involved in that. I don't even believe anymore. But he stands up in that boat and he says, I don't know who's out there. But if you're out there, would you please help us? My little daughter, she's just freezing. And then the sea went completely calm. They made it to Greece. He gets his family, they they make it up into Germany. They go to a church where there's humanitarian aid and they're showing the Jesus film. And he's sitting there watching the Jesus film with his little family and all of a sudden Jesus steps out and calms the sea. And Farid stands up in the middle of that church and says, I know who you are now. And he gave his life to Jesus. So there's a double whammy on the card. I want us to support the Jesus film. It's around the world. They're going into tribes and nations that nobody else is getting into. And then training Muslims, Farid, along with 360,000 other Muslims are being trained to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we in the assemblies of God have so many upper room, small groups of Muslims who have come to Jesus, we need to train the leadership. And so that's what we're doing here on that last part. So let me just tell you something quick about this card. Um, It's not self-explanatory. I did not do a good job. So uh, you can put in the amount there monthly, what you're going to support. This first one, our missionaries, we support 60 missionaries. I have 60 more on a waiting list. And I'm watching this line to see, can we put on some more missionaries? I want to support the Jesus film monthly. We already do, but I'd like to raise that. Convoy of Hope, we have a $15,000 pledge that we've made this year that we want. Oh, and and can I just tell you this? I have a a dear friend, he's very wealthy, and he called me this week and he said, hey, um, are you guys doing anything for the Ukrainians? I said, yes, sir, we are. Through Convoy of Hope, we are right now on the border of Poland, and any time a mommy or a a child reaches Poland, we're there right now feeding them and clothing them and giving them all the commodities that they need. If you support Convoy of Hope, then you just square your shoulders, and you can tell anybody and everybody, I'm helping the people in the Ukraine. That's what we do. Let me tell you a a quick fire Bible story. Pastor in Africa named Batuan, Bibleless pastor in Africa. He he had just a few portions of the scripture just, and and he had to share it around with his other pastor friends and uh, very limited. And we were a part of helping thousands of pastors in Africa. They were in a meeting. I wish I could show you for 15 minutes when they heard they were all getting their own fire Bible, they stood up and shouted praise to the living God. That's the kind of stuff we do, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss it. 
Don't miss out. I sleep very well at night knowing that we, Trinity Life Center, are helping feed hungry children on the border of Poland and the Ukraine. I sleep well knowing that we've supplied Bibles to pastors who didn't even have a whole Bible. I sleep great knowing that we're training former Muslims to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it, sending the Jesus film around the world. Now, back to our scriptures. This world, Jesus, when he talks about the world, it's not this physical ball you and I are now residing on. It's those people who hate us. That's what he's talking about. They hate you and me. Why? Because we live holy lives. And that's a witness to them, and it scares them. Because they don't think anybody can do that. They hate us because we believe that the Father sent Jesus into the world. They hate us because we witness to them that Jesus Christ is holy and he's high and he's lifted up. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. You ever had your boss target you with anger and discipline you and, and then you look around at your coworkers and they're stealing from the company but your boss is mad at you. You know why? Because you're in the world, but you're not of it. And what's your response when the boss is like that? You don't hate him back. You love him or her. You witness to them about Jesus just by the way you work. Show up on time. Get your work done. Stay late if you have to. Whatever you have to do to shine Christ in the workplace. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to be lifted up on the cross, to die for the sins of the world, and to be raised on the third day. You know what? I heard the other day that Carl Sagan, anybody know Carl Sagan? You remember the name? Back in the day, he was touted as the I guess uh, Einstein had died because they said this guy was the smartest guy on the planet. And he was on Johnny Carson one night. And Johnny said, man, hey, Carl, what happened to all the dinosaurs? And he said, well, Johnny, uh, the asteroid hit and it destroyed everything alive on Earth but the mice. The mice went underground and they survived. And now we've all come from those mice that survived. Do you not think it easier to go to work or to go to school and say, here's what I believe. God became one of us. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He was born of a virgin. He went to the cross in my place as my substitute, and he died for my sins. And now I've been given the gift of everlasting life because I put my faith in him. That's so much easier to believe than, oh, we all came from little mice. Give me a break. Christ followers, we've been made holy. We are protected from the world. We are protected from the evil one. We are hated by the world. We are hated by the evil ones. But listen, our greatest protection is our holiness and the truth of God's word. So be holy. 
Walk holy. Be empowered by the truth to keep yourself pure from the world. In verse 20, Jesus transitions his prayer from the 11 disciples to everyone who believes in Jesus through their witness. Wonderfully, we're included in everything that Jesus has already prayed. And now he's including every Christian who's ever lived from the time of the first Easter Sunday till the last day before the rapture of the church. Man, it's for everybody. He is still concerned that you and I should be holy. He's concerned that we walk in truth. He's concerned that we be separated from the world. And now he prays that we should all be one. I, I, don't, even know if, I don't even know how to get into this. It's my final point for today. Another reason why I believe the angels went silent because they struggle to grasp how he would desire oneness with us. He's not just praying that all of us here at Trinity would be one. He is praying that, but so much more. I mean, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> if we were all one. He's not just praying that all Assembly of God Christians would be one. He is praying that, but he's praying so much more than that. He's praying for everyone who has ever put their faith in him that we all together would be one. And then even more bold, even more daring is his prayer about the depth of our being one with him and with each other. He's not praying for some superficial truth, truce evidenced by, oh, let's just agree to disagree, which we do sometimes. That's about the extent of our oneness sometimes uh, or the fact that we're not arguing with each other. Uh, that's a good thing, but, but he's praying that we would be one even as the Father and Son are one. Verse 21 I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The idea of being one comes from the Hebrew idea of the word one. Don't be confused by the English idea of one, which refers to a single identity. That's not what we're after here. The Hebrew idea is unity. The Hebrew idea is that two or more can be so closely and lovingly identified together that they have one heart, one mind, one will, one purpose, and one combined strength. Now that's what marriage is supposed to be reflecting. It's imperfect for all of us but we're to be reflecting the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are completely unified in power, knowledge, will, and goal. For example, the will of the Father is perfectly the will of the Son. Even when Jesus was deluged with our sin on the cross and the Father had to turn away, the will of the Father and the will of the Son were still perfectly united. Even as darkness covered Jerusalem and the cross and Jesus was at the point of death, the will of the Son remained continually and perfectly merged with the will of the Father. Throughout all of time and eternity, there has never been even the smallest crack between the will of the Father, the will of the Son, and the will of the Spirit. Let me illustrate that. You know when you're, 
your husband or your wife asks you to do something and uh, you have that little momentary hesitation because you don't really want to do it, but you love them and you're going to do it, but you don't want to. Little, little tiny moment of hesitation. Can I tell you, there has never, ever in history been even the briefest moment of hesitation between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I mean, not even a moment where there was hesitation in Jesus doing the will of the Father, not even in the Garden of Gethsemane, because he was sealed with the love of God that cannot be broken and, and he maintained their oneness. The Father and the Son being one is expressed several times in this incredible, holy prayer of Jesus. Remember back in verse 10, Jesus prays, all who are mine belong to you. As we grow in holiness and unity with Jesus, we might well say, and I hope all of us do, Jesus, all mine is yours. But you know what we can never say? Jesus, all yours is mine. You know why we can't say that? Now, Jesus has given us so much. He gave us his righteousness. He's given us his holiness. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the marvelous word of God. He even gives us some of his glory. But the depths of God's glory belong to him and him alone. He said, the glory you've given to me, I've given to them. But he didn't give us the fullness of his glory or his name that's above every other name. However, he does seal our unity with the love of God. In verse 23, Jesus says, you love them as much as you love me. He ends his prayer by saying, the love with which you have loved me should be in them as I also am in them. He seals his love in us today. Please walk out of here today sealed in the love of God. Jesus is praying for our love and our oneness with him to be perfect. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the Greek word for perfect is teleos, and it means full-grown mature. It leaves you a little room there for not being perfect. But Jesus, this word means absolute perfection. When you come into oneness with Christ and the Father, it's perfect. It's perfect so that our oneness with the Father and the Son is absolutely flawless, not lacking one thing. Lord, I want to get to that point in my life. I fall so short. I want my oneness with the Father and the Son to be perfect. Not something I'm growing into. Not something that will someday become perfect. But today, Lord, today, please, God, let us be perfectly one with you with the Father and the Son. Four times in my life, ladies and gentlemen, I've hit the perfect shot in golf. I scored an eagle each time. 
One time I was 60, one time I was 40 yards away from the hole, went right in the hole. Perfect. One time I was 60 yards away, went in. One time I was 80 yards away, went in. One time I was 150 yards away, went in the hole. Every one of them were eagles. But I've, I've come within one inch of on a par three getting a hole in one. One little inch. I went and blew on the ball. I want you all to stop right now and pray that your pastor will get a hole in one very, very soon. <laughs> but even if I hit the perfect tee shot and get a hole in one, my next tee shot will probably go in the water hazard or into the sand trap. We're not perfect. Even if we were to experience some moment of perfection in our lives, it only lasts a moment. However, if I do get a hole in one, I will milk it for all it's worth. You'll hear about it every week for a year. In this life, we grow closer and closer to Jesus and we need and we want to do everything we can to become closer to Jesus and more like Jesus. But it's so important that we all understand we can't perfect ourselves. God perfects you. God makes you one with him. God makes you one in his love. Our perfection in being one with Jesus and our perfection in being like Jesus is completely the work of God. Now I want you to stand with me right now, everybody. There's a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, Christians listening today in this high priestly prayer of Jesus that will lead us to growing in Christ. The one to whom the angels are crying right now, holy, holy, holy. And he wants to make us holy in his truth. We should grow in holiness and walk in truth. Jesus Christ will be the one who perfects us to be one with God. So what's our part? We work hard on loving our brothers and sisters in Christ with an unending love and a growing unity in Christ. Yesterday at the unity prayer meeting, there's one every Saturday at a different church. Yesterday was at Pastor Dean's church, Discovery Church. And there's a, a pastor helping Dean named Aaron Hansel. He woke up late and he wanted to get there and he just threw a hat on. After the prayer meeting of unity in the body of Christ throughout Las Vegas, a little lady came up to him and said, shame on you for wearing your hat during the prayer meeting. Friends, we gotta get over ourselves. Let's cut the petty crap. And let's be about the business of being one with the Father and one with the Son. Come on, let's reaffirm our faith in Jesus Christ this morning. And if you've never done this before, join us in this prayer. Everyone, would you pray this with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to be one with you. Perfect me to live my life in a way that's pleasing to you. I love you today, Lord. I ask forgiveness of my sins.
want to walk with you every moment of every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Come on, let's worship Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we worship you today. Worship you today. We want to grow, Lord. We want to be like you. We want whatever it means. How could it possibly be that the oneness of the Father and the Son, you invite us into that? Oh, I want that today, Lord. I want to be one with the Father and one with the Son. I love you, Lord. I love this marvelous congregation. Be with us. Give every one of us a great week. Help us to witness. Help us to share the good news about Jesus with the people that we come in contact with. Give us boldness like we've never had before. And Father, thank you for all that's in your heart for each and every one of us. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. Go relieve the children's workers.